go to something and expect one thing but get another. Um, I want to show you some pictures. Uh, we get advertised and we see pictures on the magazine and this is what we expect from what sandwich is this? Can you recognize what sandwich the first one is? Arby's roast beef. Some of you. Bad cholesterol, you naughty. This is what they advertise, and what do you actually get? Yeah. We call it the thing. How about the next one? You all know this one? What is this? The Whopper. That, I mean, scrumptious, crisp lettuce, tomatoes. You're getting hungry right now. And that's what's advertised. What do we actually get? I mean, it's wrapped in paper, stacked under french fries, and you get that home, and you're like, I don't care, and you eat it. It's not only in food, but uh, we also get, have an expectation from pictures and understanding, but the reality is different. Check this out. This is an advertisement about a beach, a hotel next to a beach, a real brochure picture. What do you think? You, how many of you would go to that? Awesome. I mean, it's nice. You want to go now. What's the actuality? I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like a comforting, relaxing vacation. It looks like, oh, it's like New York City subway. How about this one? So that's a nice hotel. Look how close it is to, to what do we call that? That's the capital. I mean, you're walking distance. And I didn't Photoshop this. This is an actual brochure picture from Hyatt. I'm not trying to, we don't endorse or we don't like, you know, we're not bashing Hyatt. Here's the actuality. They cut out a whole building and a whole block, and it's a lot further than it is. It's still down there, but it's a little misleading. You know, I feel like in life, we, we get this bait and switch all the time. Is there one more? No, there isn't. Okay. And we have this expectation, and when we actually enter into the reality of it, it's like, that's not what I ex saw. That's not what I expected. Uh, we do this with food. A lot of you, whether you grew up in the church or you left the church and you're trying out for the first time, you're visiting because maybe your mom or your spouse said, if you give me one thing, just go to church one Sunday. This may be you. I don't know. Some of you are here. And church, you have this expectation. We're God's people. We're so patient. We never fight. We, 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 we never gossip. Because when you come into this place, this is like heaven on earth. And then you come to church thinking, that's good stuff. And just give it two days. <laughs> Maybe two weeks at most. And you realize, man, is all church like this? And the reality is different from your expectation. Uh, getting a little more serious. Some of us, we have this expectation of life, don't we? I don't think any of you grew up and said, Dad, I want to go to college. And I want to get a job. And three years later, I want to be laid off. And ten years later, I want to lose all my hair. And then maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get cancer, and maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll get into a horrible accident. No one does that. We have this expectation of life, and sometimes it just doesn't become what we hoped it would be. You know, I'm looking at the news, and it's not supposed to be this way in this world, but there's 260 kids missing in a sunken boat in South Korea. And our heart aches with that. And you're looking at this, and I'm wrestling, and I'm saying, God, this is not what life should be about. And we see the actuality. No matter how much we want to deny it, it's happening. So in life, in church, in food, in everything, we have this expectation 
but then the reality is so different. Why do we see that? And the Bible makes it very simple. And I believe the Bible because Jesus believes the Bible. He speaks, gives us the words. And the one word that causes this world to not be the way it's supposed to be is this three-letter word called sin. We don't have a world that we need to fix. We have a broken world that cannot be fixed by human hands. It's called sin. You know this, by the way, because when your children grow up, all of your parents, you know, from the day they were born, I'm sure the babies were perfect, right? They never cried when they were not supposed to. And the teenagers, they always obeyed. You're like, no, they didn't. And then I ask you, how were you when you were a teenager? And you, this is when you go, Ooh. We were all corrupt. There's a saying, we're not sinners because we sin. Let me say that again. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's the problem with this world. That's why this actuality is different from expectation. So what do we do? Well, I want to go into that idea of expectation of reality just a little bit and go into this Easter story before we get to the end. John chapter 20, there was a woman on the first day of the week, which is today, three days after Jesus' crucifixion. Her name is Mary Magdalene, and she went to the tomb. What was her expectation, people? There's a stone in the way. The body's there, and I'm bringing spices to preserve it. And I always thought, like, how is she going to move that rock? Was she going to ask the Roman soldiers, can you move it for me? I don't know, but she expected the rock to be there and a corpse of a beloved teacher decaying, filling up that tomb with stale stench of death. She has this expectation. She goes there. Do you notice, by the way, in this story, if you look at the Bible, not one person expected Jesus to be resurrected. Do you notice that? The Pharisees didn't expect Jesus to rise. They didn't say, put someone there just in case he comes to life. They said, put someone there just in case a disciple steal his body. Romans didn't expect that. Mary didn't expect it. The 11 disciples who heard over and over again by Jesus, the Son of Man will be betrayed, suffer, die, and rise again three days later. In one ear, out the other. <laughs> they didn't expect it. So, Mary gets there, and what does she see? She sees an empty grave. I want us to enter this thought. What if, I like playing what if games. You play that with your family? Can you just humor me and say this? What if Jesus didn't rise? Maybe he was just a nice religious teacher who gave really good messages. He was like, you know, Confucius. He was like Socrates. He was like, you know, Dalai Lama. He was like a great religious leader. He never rose again, though. What if that was the case? And there's somebody in the Bible who's better than any skeptic in this world, and his name is Apostle Paul. And he goes, you want to play that game? Let's play that game. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, let's hypothesize if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. And this is what he says. This is in the back. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Basically, we're liars. But he did not raise him, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ. Can you all read this part with me? We are of people most to be pitied. Do you understand? This is what Paul's implication is. If that tomb was still blocked and a body was in there, here are the implications. Then Jesus is still dead. His bones are just there in Jerusalem right now. He was like a human being, not special. If Jesus is dead, then our preaching, what I'm doing, what my career is, I'm a biggest charlatan. What am I preaching about? We're, we're just making up stuff. I could say my little pony is, gives me happiness. She does, but that's what besides. Faith itself is pointless. And what are you going to put your, your faith in? Believe in yourself. Believe in your sports. Believe in your money. But don't believe in a God. It's pointless. Believe in your lucky rabbit's foot. Believe in your blanket. Don't believe in Jesus. He says, also the implication is we misrepresent God. I don't want to do that. Can you imagine speaking on behalf of God and you're a fool? This is what God says. And God's saying, that's not what I'm saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're talking on behalf of God and we're off. He says, if we're, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're still on the hook for our sins. We still have a sin problem. No one knows how to, no religion has figured it out. They say, just try to be good. But th- by the way, does that work in court of law? I, I, I drunk drive and I kill somebody, I kill a whole family because I crashed drunk driving. And then I say to the c- court judge, I am, I, I'll be good and I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to work as a charity. The judge ever say, you know, Jason, you're a pastor. You've done good work. You know, you're free to go. Does that happen today? You know, your good deeds don't erase your bad deeds, does it? The sin is still there. And then Paul says, if that's the case, all the people who died before Jesus and after Jesus, guess what? It's bye-bye. You're never going to see them again. I mean, it's, it's pointless. And then he says this, which is powerful, that we read together. If Jesus didn't arise, we are the most pathetic people gathered in this room of all people. I mean, we are the biggest fools. We are the most to be pitied. You know, for us church today, we're like, oh, those, those poor people, let's, let's give them money. Let's give them. You know, but then what Paul is saying is Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You're the fool. And we gather at church worshiping a God that didn't make sense. So that is if Jesus was dead and he didn't rise. You see, if you're not a Christian, I want to share this with you. Christianity is not a good feel value. It is based on an event. In 1776, something happened in America. What happened in America? Independence. It was an event. Do you believe in that, or do you also know it? That is a fact. You know, as we gather together here, we don't celebrate an idea. We celebrate an actual event, and Jesus rose again. So John 20, I like CSI. Some of you are maybe TV show fans. You have CSI fans? Okay. Or your closet. You guys want to raise your hand. You're like, I don't want to embarrass myself. So, well, let's look at the facts. So there's Mary Magdalene, she goes back, she runs, and the tomb is empty, and the body's not there. Uh, Lee Strobel, he's a famous Christian apologist, he makes this note. If you notice, there's not one person who argues that the tomb had a body. There's no one in this world, atheist, that would even say the body was there. You know why? Because there was no body. 
Everybody agrees on this fact. The tomb was open, the body was not there. So let's go to the next question. What do you next ask? What happened to it? So what happened to the body? Here's a few suggestions. One, someone stole the body. Someone came, punched the Roman soldiers, rolled the stone, and stole the body. It actually happened. It happened so commonly, grave robbers, that Caesar later on put a rule and law that said grave robbers will be killed for you know, capital punishment. So maybe someone was brave enough to steal. But what did Jesus die with? No gold jewelry. There's no nizen. So someone, the, the disciples, they were like, where is his body? <laughs> no one knew. Uh, Mary thought the caretaker took it. That's why later on, she hears a voice and she says, did you take his body? No one knows what happened to the body. But everyone agrees the body was not there. So let's look inside. Let's look at the evidence. So she goes in there, and, and, Peter, and Peter and John go in there, and this is what they see. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, that verse is so hilarious. Why do you need that in the Bible? You know, that, that Peter was slower than the other disciple. You know, it's like, I want to convince the world that Christianity is true. And if I'm making this up, by the way, Peter was slower than the other disciple. This is weird. So he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Now here's the, the word in the Greek, it's kemi othonia. In other words, Jesus was wrapped in 75 pounds of linen and spices and dressing. When he was lying there, the linen, what is implying is the shape of the body is still there. But the body's gone. It wasn't peeled off. It was as if the body just vanished. You know, do you ever go, you know, put your hand on a napkin at dining and then you move your hand and the shape of your hand is still there? You know, no? Am I the only one? Okay. <laughs> well, that happens, okay? It's called physics. And then the shape of the body is still there. And that's what, that's what Peter and John are seeing. There's this, no one ripped it off. There was no scissor. The body just vanished, but everything's there. The next little clue is this. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. Verse 7. As well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Now, if any of you ever steal anything, I bet you you don't do this. If you're going to steal from a house, you don't steal and then clean up and vacuum and fold up the laundry at the person's house, do you? I'm watching to see who's nodding because I'm going to report you. To the, the idea here is somebody took this body, the body's gone, but the headdressing that covers the mouth and the face was folded up neatly. My wife says, honey, can you please make the bed? And every other day I forget. You know, because when you make the bed, it's a sign that somebody is alive and put here. But when somebody that, like, is lazy and just gets out of bed and the blankets like this, you're like, oh, they didn't have much care. <laughs> there was care. Somebody folded up a headdressing. Why would they do that? Where's the body? So all of this goes on, and the, the piece of clothing... And to see, and to liso, the Greek word is, it was folded up neatly by itself. That's the actual Greek word. So, what happened to this body? Great apologists thought about this, and here's a couple of things I want you to consider, and we don't have all the evidence to give. But 11, uh, 10 out of the remaining 11 disciples, they were all killed. Did you know that? They didn't die from old age, they didn't die from cancer, they didn't die from heart attack. They were all killed, and to the very end, they were saying, deny Jesus Christ is God. 
And this is what they said, you, you could kill my life, but I can't deny what I've seen with my own eyes. And I wanna ask you something. If you made up a lie, would you die for a lie? Would you, would you die for a practical joke? Fooled them. I'm ready to die. You know, would you die for that? I mean, that, we live in a world where each human has self-preservation. You're so good at that. You're so good at caring for your body. You're wired that way. And this is going against every intuition of your soul to allow yourself to die, believing in this idea that Jesus rose again from the tomb. So what happened? John 20, verse 11. Let me keep reading. Um, but Mary stood outside the tomb and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not re realize it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Notice she doesn't recognize him. She, I mean, she's standing right in front of him. And then until verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. I want to share with you something on this. Did anything strike you about this text just now? Who was the first person this supposed risen Savior spoke to? A woman. Now, you're like, so? And? If I was making up a story 2,000 years ago, here's what I would never do. I would never have a woman be a witness to the most important event in the history of the world to prove that Jesus rose. You know why? Because in Palestine, women had no credibility, authority. They were not even able to come to witnesses. It was unfair. That was the nature of the culture. And the early Christian writers should have put, and Peter saw Jesus. Hallelujah. But they don't. John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have women encountering Jesus for the first time. That is the dumbest thing you do if you're trying to convince people of a famous story 2,000 years ago. Unless it's true. You know, CSI, Jerusalem, this idea, I want you guys to, a church, to believe in this. I don't want you to come because the church is warm and fuzzy, because we're not sometimes. I don't want you to come to church because you need a little religion. If you want religion, there's so many other great religions who are living nicer than Christians sometimes. If you want a little bit of morality, then just start using willpower and positive thinking and fix your life. You don't need the church. But if you need a savior for your sins and an event that occurred that implies past, present, future, people are saved and redeemed and we are forgiven. And Jesus is here. And Jesus is available to you. Always. You see, we're not here for religion, are we? We're here because we want God. And Jesus' death and resurrection shows us God doesn't even know that. It's not that he knows that you want him. It's this God wants you. I want you to hear that.
Wherever you are, God wants you. That crazy, that blows my mind every day. I was like, God, do you know what I've done? And God's like, I made you. <laughs> I know your thoughts. And I just get humbled. I wrote on my Facebook this week about, about what Jesus did for us, and one of our church members replied, I can't get over the fact that God still loves me every day. And I, I have no response other than that's why we call it amazing grace. Right? Amen? Amen. Do, do you think God loves you because you're cuter than other sinners? I would definitely be low on that list. Do you think God loves you because you go to church and you're religious? No. God loves you because he loves sinners who've been cast out, who've cut themselves, who don't know better. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And God says, I want you. And I pay the price for it. Just come. Jesus rose again. Jesus is alive. And this is what Paul is saying. Look at, look at the witnesses of the disciples. You killed the author of life, Acts 3, 15, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, their confidence is in this fact that there was a Jesus and he died and rose again. It's not about love one another and be good. It's about Jesus is alive. So what does this mean? Jesus takes expectations that we have in our world. I know you all have right. We should not have wars. I don't think there's anybody in this room that will say wars are great. We should not have cancer. We should not have kids dying at, as children. We should not have accidents where people are drowning. We should not have like, people coming to a school and shooting innocent children. We should not have planes flying into buildings. And we wrestle with that. So God, when are you going to make this a reality? And God answers it. I've begun. And it starts with the resurrection. And I am reversing our fallen reality and making it into what we were all hoping for. Revelation 21 says this. This is what God is building all of us up to if we trust him. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them because there's no sin. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And this is the verse that you know so well. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That was accomplished through the resurrection. Amen? Amen. And I want to tell you guys, the resurrection gives us truth, that Jesus is who he says he is, and it gives us hope. It gives us victory over death. Paul says, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? I want to tell you, some of you know moms and dads, friends who are Christians. And you know, they're not in the grave. You know that. Their tomb is there. We could visit them. But you know they're not there. Because in Christ, death does not have the final say. So here's what I want to declare to this church to remind us. We're resurrection people. We're not just nice people. We're people that live for a living Savior. These are the names of people who are alive that I want to celebrate today. Harry Jenks, Roger Constanzer, Lucas Flores, Peck Butler, Fran Tyler, Dorothy Ernst, John Roger McNichols, Dorothy Tebbett, Betty Will, Dorothy Millis, Ruth Ann Norton, Richard Moore, Bob Hampton, Susan Strong. And you keep saying those names of those in Christ. Because Jesus rose again. 
we too shall rise. And death does not have a final say. And we are a church that is not just trying to be nice. We're trying to show the world that we will stand up to death because we have a Savior who has overcome death. Hallelujah. Let me end with this final story. Dr. Siebitz tells of a Muslim who became a Christian in Africa. Some of his friends asked him, why have you become a Christian? He answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked into two directions and you didn't know which way to go. And there at the fork in the road were two men, one dead and one alive. Which one would you ask which way to go? And we have a Savior pointing us in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For me, I want us, this is the application for us today. Jesus doesn't want you to try harder. You heard that right. Jesus does not need you to be more religious or try harder. Jesus doesn't need you to get your act straight. What Jesus wants of you and me today is this. Will you wholeheartedly trust me? Will you believe in me? Will you, in fear and even in doubt, wrestle so that you believe that I have the best good intention for you? Will you take me and make me your number one? That's all I ask. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And I say, that's great, because I'm a failure many times. By his grace, just says, I just want you to trust me and I'll change you. Is that a good deal? I don't know about you guys, but that's a good deal for me. That's our risen Savior. That's our hope. That's our confidence. Please bow your heads in prayer. So God, as we wrestle with real things, we're not trying to be flip and say these things don't weigh our hearts. But what we're declaring in the face of death and sin, in the faith of chaos, in the presence of these things, we're declaring that these things shall never have a final say. God, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they were thrown into fire, the Lord may save us, but even if he doesn't, there is no one else will bow down to than our God. And God, we know that we live eternally so that whether this world could hurt our flesh we know that in you, they could never take away our soul. So God, redeem your people. Claim us. You resurrect individuals from sin. You resurrect alcoholics. You resurrect broken marriages. You resurrect wounded families. You resurrect hurt, past, and we just trust you. We put our confidence in you because you have conquered the cross and the death as you promised you would. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.